guessing that most of us have probably heard the Aesop's fable all about the tortoise and the hare. That's the one where the tortoise and the hare are having a race, but the hare is so cocky about how fast he is and how far ahead of the, hare, of the tortoise that he's got that he actually lies down and has a bit of a snooze by the path. Uh, but of course, while he's sleeping, good old tortoise plods past gets so far ahead that even when the hare wakes up and realises what's happening, he can't catch him. And so the tortoise wins the race. Moral of the story? Slow and steady. See, I thought we would have heard it. Now, friends, in many ways, that's pretty much the lesson of 2 John. That when it comes to living out the Christian life, when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to living out the truths of the gospel... Slow and steady will win you the race. And John brings this out with a really lovely little wordplay in the letter. See, have a look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4. It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And then have a look down at verse 6. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Notice the repetition of walking there. Three times John says it, that it makes him happy to discover that they're walking this way and don't forget to keep walking this way and this way as well. Three times it's all about walking and then you hit verse 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. See the lovely little wordplay that's operating there? It's all about following Jesus by walking, 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 and not running ahead. Because you see, when it comes to following Jesus, it's the good old reliable, it's the slow and steady that'll win you the race. Well, I'd like us to think about that this morning by firstly going back and considering these three things that John encourages his readers to walk in. The first one's truth. Back to verse 4. It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. It's a terrific little verse, that. Let me point out three things. First and foremost, notice that John here refers to the truth to walk in and not a truth to walk in. In other words, there's a right truth to get involved in and there's a wrong truth to get involved in. And I'm stressing that, obviously, because it's not a very popular idea nowadays, is it? Nowadays, truth is all about being a very personal thing. What's true for you may not necessarily be true for me, especially when it comes to things to do with God. Recently read about a church pastor in America, Connecticut, where he began a church count, uh, sorry, a town council meeting with prayer and he finished the prayer with the phrase in Jesus name seems fair enough a couple of days later the other Christian clergy in town met up with the bloke and asked him to please not mention Jesus in public again it's a bit exclusive there were Jews at that council meeting what about if there had been Muslims there the pastor explained that really he couldn't do that and he was going to keep mentioning Jesus at which point they took out space in the local newspaper, called him divisive, made out he was a troublemaker and distanced him and his church from the other more Christian churches in town. Now you see, that's the spirit of this age. No one faith is the truth. 
we must embrace them all. It's not the message of 2 John. In verse 4, John isn't excited to hear about people walking in a truth. His great joy is to find some of your children walking in the truth. There is, a, there is a, an absolute truth. Mind you, the second thing I'd like you to notice in that verse is that sadly, it is only some of the children who are walking in it, isn't it? The implication, of course, is that some are not. Some have fallen away. Some have deserted this truth. Now, the reason for this becomes pretty obvious in the second half of the letter where he starts to talk about false teachers who are around and who are leading people astray. In fact, it's the presence of these false teachers which is explaining why this idea of truth is so important in the letter. You may have noticed it in the opening verses. Verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I also, but also who know the truth. Now just in passing that reference to the chosen lady and her children, look, it could be a reference to a specific woman and her family. More likely it's a reference to a local church and John is picking up the imagery of the New Testament where the church is, uh, is the bride of Christ. And so he's referring to this church family as if she's a lady with children. That would sort of also make sense of the very last verse of the letter where he says, the children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Uh, that's basically saying that all the members of John's church family also send their greetings to this church family as well. Again, I think it's symbolising a church family as a lady picking up that image of, of Christ's bride. Whatever with that though, back in verse 1, notice that emphasis on truth. John loves this chosen lady in the truth and it's not just him, it's all who know the truth. That emphasis keeps going into the next couple of verses. Verse 2, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. Four times in the first three verses John mentions truth. It's clearly a big issue and it's all to do with the fact that there are false teachers around and they're leading people away from the truth. They seem to be leading them away in droves because some have fallen away. Some haven't though. Some are hanging in there. Some are still walking in the truth. And when John hears about them, well, it's like hearing that there's some survivors from a disaster. It's like how we felt when we heard that there's still two blokes alive down the mine at Beaconsfield. Johnny's over the moon. People have survived. It gives me great joy to hear some of your children are still walking in the truth. Which brings me to the third thing. I'd like you to notice in that verse, and that is the use of that word, walking. Walking in the truth. It's a lovely picture word to be using there. Walking. It, it implies just a slow, deliberate, steady, methodical pace. Nothing flash, nothing showy, just deliberately keeping on keeping on, moving ahead one step at a time, one step at a time. In early church, one of the, one, one of the uh, great things about early church is that there are senior brothers and sisters in Christ who have been Christians for 40, 50, 60, even up to 70 years. And we interviewed a few of them this morning just to 
hear about what's kept them in the faith all those years. And in the eyes of the world, it wasn't anything flash. It was simply reading the Bible with other Christians. Remembering having their mum and dad have them on their lap and reading the Bible to them in in their early life. Going away to church camps. In the eyes of the world, it wasn't anything sensational or big flashes or it was just simply, methodically sticking with the truth about Jesus. And that's what John's got in mind here when he's using this word of walking in the truth. It's just thoroughly, thoughtfully, systematically just reading our Bibles day by day, week by week, just slowly getting more and more grounded in the truth about Jesus. But it's not just walking in the truth, as important as that is. There's more to it as well. Verse 5. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commandments. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Notice the way that walking in love and obedience also now get mentioned And they're really tightly bound up with each other, aren't they? In verse 5, he's reminding the church to keep loving each other and then he describes love as walking in obedience to God's commandments. And one of those commandments is to walk in love. Love and obedience are really tightly meshed together here, which I think is helpful. Over the last few weeks, it's been great thinking about the way of love in 1 Corinthians as Paul's work helped us go through some chapters in 1 Corinthians about here's another aspect to love it's pointing out that love and obedience are really tightly held together love is not just a sentimental feeling towards someone love is a resolve to do the right thing it's a resolve to be obedient to God and to help other people be obedient to God as well and so love does not just sit around watching others make foolish decisions in their life Real love will speak up. Oh, gently, of course. Caringly, of course. But real love speaks up. Because genuine love is all about wanting what's best for the other person. And what's best for another person is always that they be obedient to God. Yet so often that is not what we do, is it? We know, we see someone we know and see someone we care about and we see them perhaps doing foolish things, making decisions that don't seem obedient, which are actually going to take them away from Jesus. And we just feel as, well, maybe the easiest thing is to not say anything. I don't want to jeopardise the friendship. I don't want to make things awkward. I don't want to run the risk of being judgmental or coming over as self-righteous. And look, they are very real concerns. And I'm not suggesting that we're always the appropriate person to say anything. Sometimes we're not and it needs to come from someone else. But sometimes we are exactly the right person to say something. And we know we are. And so walking in love will sometimes mean taking a big gulp, sitting down over coffee with a friend and saying, look, can we chat? Don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm really concerned about you, the way you're not honouring Jesus in this area of your life. 
have I got it wrong or are you drifting here? Now, is that a hard thing to do? Absolutely. Is it a loving thing to do? Absolutely. And so can I say, if you've got a good friend who has actually sat down with you and probably very, very nervously said that sort of stuff to you, you ought to be very grateful that you've got a precious Christian brother or sister who loves you enough to encourage you to walk in obedience. Because when it comes to following Jesus, we need each other to help us stay on track. When we're feeling fatigued, when we're, we're being distracted by stuff that's going on, we need each other to just help each other keep up that slow, steady pace. Slow, steady pace of staying in there. Unfortunately, at the time of this letter, not everyone's kept up the pace. Instead of that deliberate walking in truth and love and obedience, at the time of 2 John, some people have decided to race ahead and they've gotten themselves into trouble. And so having described the priority of walking, we now get some verses about the problem of running. And this is where John turns to talk directly about these false teachers that I've mentioned before. Firstly, he talks about how to recognise them, then how to resist them. Verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now earlier this year, you might remember, we looked at the earlier chapters of 1 John and we actually spent some time thinking about these antichrists because they get a mention in 1 John 2. I don't want to revisit all those ideas here. So if you want a sort of a fuller picture about the antichrist, you might like to visit our website or grab the tape out of the library to catch up on a past talk. Well, I want to make the point here is that it's very clear that there's false teachers going around. John calls them antichrists. And most significantly, he says that you can recognise them because they are saying that Jesus has not come in the flesh. Now, John's not saying you recognise every false teacher that way. He has some very specific false teachers in mind when he wrote this. Most likely, the ones he's got in mind were a group of people known as Gnostics. Uh, Gnostics reckoned that, that Jesus was God, but only God in a spiritual sense. That Jesus only appeared to be a man in a mystical sort of way. That Jesus was a vision of God, but he didn't actually have flesh and blood like us. Because they reckon, philosophically, it's, it's impossible for God to have flesh and blood. Now, that sort of thinking, it's not all that common nowadays, is it? Uh, although I understand it's making a bit of a comeback. Nowadays, though, most people are into saying that Jesus... They're more than happy to say Jesus was flesh and blood. Most people simply say that that's all he was, that he wasn't God, that he was just flesh and blood like us. And so you've got the Da Vinci Code and Jesus getting married and all that sort of stuff. Back in John's time, the false teaching he's got in mind here is that Jesus was God all right, but he was just a vision. He wasn't a real person in flesh and blood. It was one of the heresies that really did a lot of damage in the early church. But here's the thing. Even though the specific false teaching that he's referring to here is probably not around so much nowadays, the advice that he now goes on to give as to how to resist this false teaching, I reckon is pretty timeless. Look at verse 8. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone... Who runs ahead 
and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Anyone who continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You see, John's just been talking about walking in the truth, hasn't he? That slow, steady, methodical staying with the truth. Now he's saying it in a slightly different way. Now it's not so much walk, now it's don't run. Don't run ahead of the truth. Don't run ahead of the teachings of Christ. Some of you might have the ESV. It uses the phrase, uh, don't go on ahead. It's a picture of throwing caution to the wind and rushing ahead with something and getting yourself into trouble. Like, you know, you might be on a bushwalk and the track can be a little bit hard to follow at times and if you go too fast, the likelihood is you lose the track and get lost altogether. No, no, John is saying just don't run ahead. Keep your wits about you. Just keep walking. And I reckon that's a really helpful thing to be reminded of, especially nowadays, because we live in a world where innovation and newness is all the rage. We are always on the lookout for the next best thing. And we're often being sold the idea that if it's a newer thing, it's got to be better. It's cars, it's computers, it's clothes, it's the new one that's the one to have. And that sort of attraction to novelty can drift across into our Christian life. And over the years, you see it happen time and time again. There's a new spiritual experience out and new fads and fashions are washed through the churches. And the temptation is to rush ahead and get caught up with all these new exciting things. It happened with that thing called the Toronto Blessing. It happened with what was called the church growth movement. The latest craze at the moment is a thing called the emerging church. If you haven't heard about it, you soon will. And look, I'm not saying that there's not things to be learned from all these movements. Often there can be. But there's a real danger to them because more often than not they will come and go and I can confidently predict that sadly it, they will leave, lead some people to shipwreck their faith because in their eagerness to have something fresh, to experience something new, they actually leave behind the teachings of Christ. And John says that's really serious when that happens because you're leaving behind God. And so he says in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. It almost sounds a harsh verse, that doesn't it? Being quite inhospitable. But it's a measure of how important John sees this, to stick with the true teachings of Jesus. Why on earth would you give false teachers a base for their work, is what he's saying here. Because the last thing John wants is for people to go on ahead and get caught up in some new novel experience or teaching or technique and actually leave behind the truth, the truth about Jesus. Because when that happens, you leave behind God. Which pretty well takes us full circle back to how we started. That the Christian life is that slow and steady pace of walking. Walking in the truth, walking in love, walking in obedience. You ever watched on telly the walking races at the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games? Uh, earlier this year I watched them at the Commonwealth Games down in Melbourne 
And the commentators were saying that, especially in the longer walking races, it's really, really hard to just keep your stride as the, as the race goes on. That fatigue sets in. Or even, they said, a critical factor is when you turn the last corner and you see the stadium at the end. The temptation is almost unbearable to, to quicken your stride and rush too fast and end up being disqualified. They say you need to keep your wits about you. And one of the reasons that the Aussies did so well in the Commonwealth Games, they were saying, is that they, had, that they were there in number and that they had lots of their team members around them so that they could talk to each other and, and help each other keep their heads straight so that step by step, slow and steady, they won the race. Now in 2 John, I'm wondering whether that's the sort of picture that John's got in mind here of following Jesus. Step by step, slow and steady, walking in truth, walking in love, walking in obedience. And just like those walking races, in some ways, the longer you're a Christian, the more we feel the temptation to rush ahead, the more we feel that maybe there's more to this. Try some new things. But it's all about slow and steady, walking in truth, walking in love, walking in obedience. And sometimes that can seem really boring. Getting up early in the cold to read your Bible, being the odd one out at work or at school, going out at night to show love to a Christian brother or sister who's doing it tough instead of staying home in the front of the heater watching telly. It can seem really boring and hard and uneventful and mundane. It's not. It's walking in truth and love and obedience. And friends, I know that a lot of you here are doing that. And I want to encourage you to keep at it. Because even the short steps, the slow and steady steps, in time will bring great gain. For there will be a day when you will walk across the finish line. And God himself will welcome you home. I'll pray.